you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22 and Exodus chapter 12 today. We're going to spend some time in both of those passages this morning. As you can tell, it's a little different. We've got a little different setup in here today uh, because we've got a special time uh, together of communion. And, you know, I never want communion to, communion to become common. I never, I never want you to take the Lord's Supper for granted. I don't want it just to become something that you go through the motions. And so when we do this together as the people of God, we want to make it special. And I want to give it some context today that I, I think will, will be helpful for you. And I just am so thankful for the worship team today as they are reminded us of our redemption uh, through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Christian, don't you ever get over that. Don't you ever get over what Jesus Christ has done for you. And really, uh, the Lord's table serves as a fitting reminder uh, so that we don't forget. It reminds us of what holds us together. It reminds us of our common, our common denominator because, hey, where two or three Baptists are gathered, there's four or five opinions, all right? <laughs> but there is one thing that holds us and binds us together as the family of God, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and resurrected on the third day. Amen? That binds us together. We need to be reminded of that, and we need to celebrate that. That's something that we want to celebrate today. In fact, we're told in the scriptures that we take the Lord's Supper. When we do this, we're supposed to do this regularly, and we're supposed to declare the death of Jesus as we take the Lord's Supper together. And so uh, the next week, we're starting in a new series in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And I thought it was fitting today as we kind of were starting to you know, merge back over, uh, meander back over to uh, the Old Testament, that we might see a little bit of context today uh, for the Lord's Supper in the Old Testament. And this is one of my favorite times as a pastor to to just immerse ourselves in this experience so that we walk away from this time. And my prayer for you is that you walk away from this time with gratitude. You walk away from this time reminding yourself of what's most important, reminding yourself of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying on the cross for your sins, taking your place, being your substitute. And so uh, these instructions uh, that we're given in the Word are to remember the death of Jesus when we take this uh, elements today. We take the cup and we take the bread today, symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus. And so as we take this time to set apart, it helps us to remember our purpose. It helps us to take time to, to realign ourselves in the right relationship with our Savior and to really seek out repentance and confession. And really, there's going to be some time today before we take the elements for you to just reflect uh, do business with God. Make sure that you're in a right place before you uh, take of the elements today. Now, Jesus intended for his disciples to share this meal often and regularly, and so we try to follow in uh, that command of that observance. So let's drop in to Luke chapter 22. And particularly, you know, the gospel accounts uh, give uh, reflections of the same story. Many times it's told multiple places. Well, this is uh, no different. The Lord's Supper, the communion uh, is given to us in, in many of the Gospels, but in Luke chapter 22, there's a particular emphasis, and I want you just to take a mental note every time you hear the word Passover in Luke chapter 22, in Luke's uh, passage here about the Lord's table, starting in verse 7 of Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room that I may eat the 
Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God, kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So stop there. So, again... See how Luke is stressing, even in this passage here, that the Lord's Supper is really in the context of the Passover meal. And so I think it's important, and I think it will help you as you see the Lord's Supper in the context of the Passover meal in which it was initiated. This was a time for a gathering in Jerusalem for all of the people of Israel to gather together, all the Jews gathered together in Jerusalem for this important uh, festival together. And the meal was actually meant to be an immersive, you know, three-dimensional experience as the families gathered around the table, as they had to tell the story, and they had to recount and hold those uh, elements in their hand. In fact, in the Passover meal at Jesus' time, what we know of is there were multiple cups of wine, there were bitter herbs, there was unleavened bread, and there was a lamb prepared, a shank of a lamb with the vegetables there prepared as they had this meal. And again, there was a connection and there's meaning to each of those elements in that Passover meal. And I think uh, if we spend some time today just contemplating about the Passover and really what the, the meaning and purpose of the Passover from Exodus chapter 12, I think it's going to show us, and we're actually going to see a semblance here between the Passover lamb and our uh, forever Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. So as you're turning to Exodus 12, go ahead and go there, Exodus 12, I want to give you a little bit of a refresher of the story leading up to this point. Now remember, God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. And they were, uh, Moses was called to lead the people into the promised land of Israel. Now Moses went to Pharaoh and he asked for permission to let his people go, let God's people go. But God had hardened Pharaoh's heart and he refused to allow the Israelites to leave. And that makes sense as you think about logistically for Pharaoh because the Israelites uh, were Egypt's slave workforce. And so they were their servants in that nation. And so he didn't want them to leave. And so he was determined, Pharaoh was determined to keep the Israelites in bondage. So uh, God sent plagues to punish Pharaoh and the rest of Egypt because of his resistance to allowing the people of God to leave. And so the terrible plagues were sent one after another. The first nine were uh, the Nile and all the water turning into blood, frogs, uh, the, the plague of lice, the plague of flies, uh, livestock pestilence, boils, that just uh, boils, hail coming from the skies, locust and darkness. And after all those nine plagues, Pharaoh was still resistant. And so God sent this 10th plague that we're about to talk about. The Passover, this final plague, would be the death, listen to this, the death of the firstborn of every household of Egypt, both of children and of animals. Now consider the devastation of that plague. To me, it's like an atomic bomb. It's like total devastation. Who in here, by the way, is a firstborn in your family? I'm a firstborn. All y'all dead. All y'all dead. Just gone. Think about that. Raise your hand again. And look around. All y'all, me too, we're dead. 
firstborn. It would touch, listen, it would touch every family in Egypt. Every family uh, would have lost the firstborn of their household. And again, even if you had children, everybody has a firstborn. And so if you think about that, it was a devastating act of God. And it forced Pharaoh to finally relent. Now, God had a plan. God had a purpose and a plan uh, to protect his people uh, through this night of devastation. Now, again, the term Passover is because uh, it comes from the passing over of the death angel for those who had prepared their household, those who were ready as following God's instructions that the death angel would pass over their house. He would, he would not affect their household, their home, if they followed God's command. He instructed the people to prepare their homes uh, to protect their families from this devastation. And that preparation would be an outward sign of God's protection. And again, I want you to, as we're reading the Old Testament, I think it's very important to read the Old Testament and to look uh, through the cross, through the, the picture of Jesus as we read the Old Testament because uh, there are Easter eggs everywhere, even in this particular story. It points here uh, to this place of God protecting his people as the death angel passed over God's people that night. And I believe there's something here to prepare us for the Lord's Supper as well. So let's go to Exodus 12. Let's drop into verse 11. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families. Underline that if you're uh, analog and you've got a Bible to underline. Select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take the bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and some of the blood on the top and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of that door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and on the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. So really... This instruction was specific of what the people of God were supposed to do. So as we even look at these first three verses, there's uh, provisions of God. Number one, God provided a substitute. Look at verse 21 again, where Moses said, select an animal for your family. This is the animal that's going to be in the place of your family. To select this animal, select this Passover lamb, slaughter that Passover lamb, and apply it to your household so that you might be spared. The night of Passover was a night that... God miraculously protected his people. And what he asked them to do was a powerful symbol of his provision for his people. He told them, take a spotless lamb without blemish. Now, that's some of the same uh, terminology that we're going to hear later in the tabernacle and in the temple of the worship, that you were to take that sacrifice as a sin offering. Take a lamb, take it without blemish, take that, that pure lamb so that it might die on behalf of your uh, sin, that that lamb may take the punishment that you deserve, if you will. And from the youngest to the oldest, each person in the Israelite household would have had to take note that a lamb was dying to deliver them. Think about that for a minute. And then that story is to be told from generation to generation to generation. And I believe was preparation for the nation of Israel to see and to see that archetype, see that pattern when Jesus came, the Lamb of God. It's interesting, I think, uh, that in this story we have uh, the connotation of the firstborn. The firstborn is important. It was a punishment to the firstborn. And from that, the punishment of the firstborn uh, was spared by uh, the, the Lamb, the Lamb of God that was offered there and, and put above, above their, their doorposts. Think about those terms, firstborn and Lamb of God. In John chapter 1, verse 29, as John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, he said this, Look, 
the Lamb of God who takes away uh, the sins of the world. You and I understand, and we talk about Jesus being the Lamb, but also in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn, listen, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Even here in Colossians, we see this tie-in of Jesus being the firstborn. Jesus wasn't created. Jesus wasn't born, if you will, in heaven. Jesus has always been, but he is in that place of authority as the firstborn of God, the firstborn son. And in that place of authority, we're told here that he has authority over all creation. And then because of his resurrection, he now is the firstborn from among the dead. In other words, he's the first of many who will follow him. Who's after that to follow Jesus after his resurrection? Us. He is in that position as the firstborn. And again, I can't help but think about the terms that were used here as we see Jesus as the firstborn of creation, firstborn from the dead, also as the Lamb of God hanging on the cross for our sin debt. And when his blood is applied to the threshold of our lives, our sins are forgiven, and the eternal death angel now passes over you, and you get to spend eternity with the firstborn from the dead, Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? So that's that's the first point, the first idea. God provided a substitute, but God also provided salvation. Look again at verse 22 of Exodus 12. We're told, take a bunch of hyssop. Now, that word hyssop was already used. Actually, Caleb uh, read uh, in the, the uh, depiction of Jesus' crucifixion that when Jesus was thirsty, they took a sponge and they put it on a hyssop branch. It was a long branch so that they could extend uh, the wine and vinegar to Jesus' lips Hyssop was a cleaning agent. It was an astringent. It would be the equivalent of us saying, take some Lysol to it, okay? And so it was a long stalk. It had leafy, had these le- uh, leafy application here. It was used as a brush. It was used in purification rites. It was used as a cleaning agent in the Old Testament. And so God was saying, hey, spray that door down with Lysol. Purify that area. Apply the, the blood, the pure blood over your door. It was as if God said, your house needs a deep clean because I'm preparing you for communion with me. Now, what we understand is God spent time in the desert with his people, uh, getting them ready, purifying them uh, to enter into the promised land. This was the first step in that purification of his people. And so the concept of a spotless lamb without blemish the, comp- the, the, the complication here, the, the application here of taking that hyssop branch, it stresses here that God has a standard for purity and for holiness. And those who did not, listen, those who were not purified by the blood of the lamb, the death angel would have his way over their household. Think about that. They weren't to be purified. They, they weren't to be covered by the blood. They, they would not have had the hyssop applied uh, to their door frame. And so the people were told to apply the blood of the lamb to their houses. And you take that hyssop Lysol brush and you drench it in blood and you cover over your threshold. And I can't help but think about the family units as they gathered to prepare for that night of terror. Think about it. They gathered the family together. They relayed the instructions that Moses had given, they slaughter the lamb for their family unit, they slaughter the lamb together, they collect the blood that says to put it in the basin, and then the head of the household would take that hyssop branch and he would dip it into that basin and he would begin to apply it over the door frame. 
And think about the planes again of that door frame, the vertical and the horizontal as he's painting there the door frames with the blood with that hyssop branch. I can't help but think about a door frame being constructed of two planes, vertical and horizontal. There's a picture here of the cross in my opinion. As I see that father with this hyssop brush and the blood of that hyssop brush raised up just like it was raised up to Jesus on the cross and he's making the vertical uh, planes there and the horizontal plane around that, that door frame symbolizing the protection of God over their family and their eventual salvation. I, I see the cross there. First Peter 1 verses 18 and 19. For you know that it is not with the perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And that blood applied to our lives gives us salvation. Now the last thing I want you to see in this little passage here is that God provided protection. Read verse 23 of Exodus 12. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top of the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Now, again, I'm thinking about the caste system that had to permeate the Egyptian culture as you've got the wealthy Egyptians in their homes, you've got the slave quarters around back, all the slave quarters are marked with this blood and at the certain time when the death angel swept over uh, the Egyptian hillsides and down into the cities, a loud shriek would have occurred again. This was the equivalent of an atomic bomb as every family is affected and the firstborn was slaughtered in every family by that death angel. And when the angel sees the blood of the lamb, it was his sign to move on as God protected his people in a miraculous way just like the cross for us through the sacrifice of Jesus our spotless lamb we are protected from death by God's mighty hand as the blood of the lamb is applied to the threshold of our lives do you have that have you experienced that do you know what I'm talking about to be set free and to be protected by the blood of the lamb over your life and we understand that when we die Death can't touch us. The death angel has to flee because of what Jesus did for us. Do you see the picture here? That's why Jesus can reinterpret the whole imagery of the Passover to say, I am that Passover lamb. This is my body. This is my blood that is applied to you. And when it's applied to you, I am your substitute. I am your sacrifice. I am your protection. Don't forget about me. Go back to the Exodus 12. Listen to 24 through 30. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. And when you enter the land, by the way, there's no, uh, it's not up in the air as to if they're going to enter the land. It's presupposed before it even happens. When you get there, uh, the Lord will give you as promised, you need to observe this ceremony. Verse 25 Verse 26, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And then the people bowed down and worshiped. And the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. And Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Devastation. 
but it was for their good. God worked on their behalf. And this is why in verses 24 and following these first few verses, he says, you need to sit down every so often and tell the story. You've got to recount the story. You know why we've got to do that? You know why we have to do this in remembrance of the Lord? Because you and I are forgetful people. We take lots of things for granted. Many of us take Jesus for granted. The people of God definitely took the Lord for granted. And you need, listen, you need to pause sometimes and remind yourself of what the Lord has done for you. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance, we're told in verse 24, for you and your descendants. And so we, as human beings, have that tendency to forget the magnitude of these things. He says, you need to do this. You need to do this regularly. You need to get your kids involved. You need to explain this to your kids. Let them ask questions. Tell them the story. And so when the Israelite families gathered from this point forward for the Passover meal, guess what they had to do? They took the symbols and told the story of how God had delivered his people and how the Passover angel, the death angel had to pass over their homes and how they were saved through the blood of the lamb. Again, setting the table, I believe, for the coming Messiah so they wouldn't forget. Have you forgotten? I mean, do you take him for granted? It's, listen, it's fitting and good, Christian, for you to hit the pause button today and remind yourself of the goodness of God. Remind yourself of God's redemptive plan. Remind yourself of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who is your substitute, your salvation, and your protection today. As we gather today, remember our Passover lamb and what he's done for us and he binds us together as a community of faith. He is the one that we're gathered here to worship. Having said that, I need you to get prepared. I need you to do some business today with God. I need you to, to make sure that you're in a right place to take this. And by the way, this is an elective activity. Okay, We're going to do it in such a way that if you don't feel like you need to or you should or you're ready to take it, you don't have to take it. I don't want you to. In fact... If you read in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, don't take this in an unworthy manner. Prepare yourself. This is why I take this seriously. This is why we're going to make some space here. It's going to get awkward for a minute because it's going to get really quiet. But I need you to do some business with God to make sure a couple of things are in place for you. Number one, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you ever repented of your sin and trusted in him for the forgiveness of sin? Believing on his name, asking him to be your savior and your Lord. Have you trusted him with your life? First and foremost. Number two, these are qualifications to take the Lord's Supper. Have you followed through with that commitment by publicly declaring your faith through believer's baptism by immersion? Have you taken that step to declare your faith publicly? If not, then don't take it today. Thirdly, you can check one, you can check two. Thirdly, are you prayed up? Are you in a right place with God? Have you done business with God and your, your, your conscience is clear because you have confessed and repented and you are in a right relationship with God? And as you take that today, it's a reflection of you and he being in a right place. Now, we can handle all, well, two of those three today. Okay? If you need to give your heart to Jesus, do it today. Take that step. If you're in, not in a right place, I'm going to give you some time and some space today 
to get on your knees, get on your face, sit down at your seat, do what you got to do, but be in a right place so that you can take this and be in a right position and heart to remember the death of Jesus. I'm going to give you some verses here for reflection. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Do you need refreshing? Well, maybe it's time to repent and ask God to wipe away your sins. James 4, 8 through 10. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Proverbs 28, 13 and 14. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. 1 John 1, 7 through 10. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a great promise. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And then Psalm 51. Here's hyssop again. Hyssop is a common theme today. David, when he was found guilty of adultery with Bathsheba cried out to God, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Lice all my heart, God, he says, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What do you need to do today to be in a right place? Number one, have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin? Secondly, have you identified with Jesus publicly through baptism? And then thirdly, are you right and ready? Are you right and are you ready? Are you in a right place with God and are you ready? I want her to be just silence in this room for a few minutes. It's awkward. We don't live in silent places. We fill our days with lots of activity and bluster and noise. We're told in Psalm 46 to be still and know he's God. Maybe you need to be a little still. And maybe you just need to open up your heart for a minute. Maybe you need to get some things right. I'm going to be down here. And if you want to get something off your chest, if you want prayer today, Maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus today. I'll be standing right here. I'd love to help you. Maybe you realize, hey, I've never publicly identified. I've never been baptized. We're going to be baptizing again soon. Maybe you need to, this is your sign to take that step because you realize I need to get that right. Maybe you just need to confess some things before him. Get on your knees here at the front and just get ready. I want you to take this time seriously. Let us prepare ourselves so that when we take the Lord's table, we're ready. We do it with the right heart and the right relationship.